From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I want to help people navigate the tremendous amount of change that they're going through with grace and understanding and some level of positivity so that we can sustain a level of productivity that that ultimately ends up being in our best interest. Today on episode 47 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Janine Perlstein. Listen to how Janine used her own expertise in navigating change to learn when she needed to pivot in her own work, first as an employee and then as an entrepreneur. In our current time of major disruption, being able to maneuver successfully through turmoil is one of the key skills to break through chaos. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Janine Perlstein. As a sociocultural anthropologist, Janine has studied behavior change across many different cultures. From the markets and prisons of India to the boardrooms across America, Janine has learned and implemented change strategies that have saved lives and made fortunes. Janine is a business anthropologist, U.S. patent holder, and revered speaker who worked as a medical anthropologist before becoming CEO of Alchemy Academy, where she has enriched workplace culture for clients ranging from solopreneurs to Fortune 100 companies. When not speaking, she mentors organizations to grow their workplace culture, develop their leadership skills, and achieve a higher level of positivity, productivity, and profitability. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's great to have you on, Janine. You have such a great background. Um, I love the work that you're doing. And I know it, it's been a number of years since you started your consulting business. Uh, and I went, when you and I spoke, um, you said it was about 10 years ago. Right. I actually wanted to start by talking a little bit about what you did before that. And then we can get mm-hmm. into the transition and your current what you're currently doing in your consulting business. So what what was your professional life like before starting your consulting business? Yeah, sure. You know, I cut my teeth in uh, in program evaluation and medical anthropology, actually, in, you know, in my first pandemic that I worked in, helping organizations with overwhelm. And through that, transitioned uh, to a CEO position of a regional nonprofit. And uh, that was, uh, at the time, (laughs) I thought that was the pinnacle. I thought I'd really made it in my career and that I'd really landed in uh, in this this quote-unquote dream job of helping helping children. And it was was a beautiful, beautiful organization with a beautiful mission, to be true. And it sounds like there's a but. (laughs) There's a but. There is a a but. You know, it's interesting because uh, as I was working at this nonprofit, uh, everything looked good on paper. Uh, You know, people would come to me and say, wow, you've really landed. You've really made it. And that was true for a little while while I was there. And after a while, David, it was like there was a... There were some red flags that started going up where people would start asking me how I was, and I started telling them that I was fine. <laughs> and, and for me, you know, I tend to be more exuberant than that. And, and all of a sudden, I started seeing myself from other eyes thinking, really, fine? Yeah, I guess I am. I'm, I'm only fine. And after some time, I really 
started actually resenting being there. I started not wanting to get up in the morning and not not feeling my mojo or feeling very exuberant being there. And something was terribly wrong, but I didn't quite... I didn't quite get it. And it was messing with my health. It was messing with my spirit. It was messing with my drive. And it really started becoming a place that I resented being. And it was a it was a horrible feeling, not just because, you know, I, I was resenting going to work, but it was a horrible feeling because I had this guilt about the fact that there was a an amazing organization doing wonderful work. I mean, truly having a tremendous impact on the children of my region. And if that was the case, why did I hate it so much? You know, why why was I so miserable there? And that, you know, it started a, a pretty big avalanche of effects between me and my board of directors and my staff. And uh, I was in a little bit of a swirly mess uh, before releasing into the wild (laughs) beyond that. So it was a time of my life that was both both gorgeous in its growth. You know, I certainly learned a lot and had an impact that I, that I'm proud of, you know, had, had wonderful results while I was there. But I also look at it a little bit uh, through the lens of of a trauma as well. Yeah, certainly when there's something that we have accomplished that is part of a big personal and professional goal, and especially when friends, colleagues, and community deem that the result that we've accomplished to be a great success, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to come to terms with recognizing that maybe it isn't quite what we had imagined. Right. It was so far beyond what I thought uh, a true success looked like. You know, I, I had considered that it was successful in terms of title and recognition and, you know, the, the network and the impact, but I had to, I had to broaden my sense of what success meant because all of that came at the risk of my family interactions, you know, my relationships with my own children, my own health, and my own sense of, of being alive and strong in the world that I that I meant to walk confidently through. You know, it, it took a hit on my confidence because I because of this little you know crisis of of knowing who I really was and what I really wanted. And I thought I thought it was me. <laughs> I thought that I had done something wrong, or that that there was something terribly wrong with me. And by the time, you know, I I left on my own accord, but the writing was on the wall. You know, it was ju- it, it was really just a matter of, of time of of leaving with dignity. And you know, so so much as I had any of that left, because there were very obvious votes of no confidence, even for me, even even though my results were off the charts. They were very good. My outcomes were very good. The people that I was working with, they were no longer looking at results. They were looking at something that I couldn't see. And uh, I felt like I was breaking rules that nobody told me what the rules were. And the, you know, the irony of that was that I was the CEO. <laughs> I was supposed to be making the rules. So, uh, you know, it put me in a, in a pretty bad place, to be completely honest with you, by the time I, I actually left. 
so Janine, what's an example of, of something that wasn't going the way you thought it should have? <laughs> that's a really great that's a really great question. I would say the biggest piece of that would be the workplace culture. The feeling when you walked through the door and there was triangulation, there was gossiping, there were little uh, cliques of groups out to get other cliques of groups, groups of people, there were there was some some infighting that I could never quite get my finger on or get to the bottom of. And I recognized that my staff was um, was interested in some sabotage. And uh, and and again I couldn't I couldn't really see that at the time either. You know, and here's here's the ultimate irony, David, is that I'm an anthropologist and, and I study workplace culture. And you know, I've built a business now on studying workplace culture, but at the time I was so inside of it, I was so close to it that I couldn't see I couldn't see my own workplace culture. And even though, you know, I was like Dorothy with the ruby red slippers, even though I had the skills to fix what what the problems were, I couldn't see that they were the problems. And so I didn't know to fix them. Right. And it was like a, a whirlwind, like some bad science science fiction movie. And I'm sure your experience has a lot, a lot to do with your work today. Mm-hmm. What was the trigger that caused you to leave? There were some events w- where some of my staff were starting to talk behind my back which wouldn't be so much of a big thing, but then the board of directors started listening and there were some rumors that started swirling. And I was left with either being on the defensive about something that I never should have been on the defensive before, you know, about things that just were flat out untrue and not, you know, not worthy of time and and energy or of blessing and releasing uh, that phase of my life. And um, at the time I was, I was starting to get very ill. My, my health was uh, greatly in question. It really got to a point where I thought, all right, I need to step into a new phase of myself, or I need to face the fact that I'm headed in the, in a very wrong direction. And uh, I got kind of I felt like, you know, I'd been on the fast train and then all of a sudden I realized I didn't have a ticket. <laughs> I needed to get off. <laughs> so I never belonged on that train. <laughs> so it was a time. Yeah. So, so what'd you do next? Well, I healed. I had, as an anthropologist, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with looking at problems and solutions of the world through the lens of, of cross-cultural comparison and uh, interdisciplinary approaches. And I had always had a collection of uh, aspects and characteristics that created success across cultures. And that was always sort of a hobby of mine. And so I I leaned into that. I leaned into, into this uh, body of work of, of self-awareness. And then I started taking on uh, marketing and strategy, business strategy clients, which was uh, much of my strong suit, doing strategic planning and marketing with people, and all the while doing a lot of uh, inner work myself. And it wasn't long before I started asking some of my clients, some of my marketing and strategy clients, to 
take on some of the inner work that I was doing for myself. I was seeing such good results for myself. I thought, I wonder what would happen if they did it. And it turns out that it ended up being the linchpin. It ended up being what, what was truly enabling their success was when I helped them get out of their own way, when I helped them really stand in their own strength. You know, sometimes it didn't matter if the marketing plan uh, you know, was amazing and could do everything with them. It, you know, if, if they were getting in their own way and they're tripping 30 yards out of the starting gate, it didn't matter how good that marketing plan was. And that's when I realized, you know, okay, I've really got something here and began to help people not just with their business strategy, but with their inner ability to manage that strategy. Mm. So what's an example of a, of a situation where someone takes that basic marketing strategy and works on the the inner pieces? A great example, early on, uh, I came across a man who had a, a business as a massage therapist and he needed more clients. He was really, he was at risk of, of needing to go find a job because he couldn't sustain his entrepreneurial lifestyle that he'd come to love so much. And so he hired me to help with his marketing and client attraction work. And week after week, he's paying me, but he's not actually doing the work. And so we switched gears from tactics and skills and strategies to some of this inner game work and ultimately got to a place where he said to me, you know, Janine, I'm afraid that if you, if I follow through with all of these things that you are asking me to do, I'm going to have so many clients that I'm no longer going to have time for my family and for myself and uh, to be the whole person that I want to be. And what we realized was that he had this limiting belief that was causing him to sabotage the efforts of actually going out and, and, and finding clients. So he had these conflicting beliefs. You know, one was a belief that he, he needed more clients or he was going to go get a, need to go get a job. And the other was a belief that, that, fi- that doing the things to find more clients would mean that he would lose his work-life balance. And so we had to do the work on the level of his beliefs before we could get him to a place where a strategy would actually stick. Mm. And once you started doing that with him, what ended up happening? Then we could figure out when, at what point do we need to switch from client attraction mode to client maintenance mode? And he really got to the bottom of, well, how, you know, well, yes, I want more clients, but what does that actually mean? How many more clients? And, and what do I believe is possible for me with a work-life balance? And what do I believe is not possible for me? And we looked at challenging some of those mistaken beliefs and then and then doing the work to rewire his brain for beliefs that serve him versus the ones that hold him back. And did he end up with a business that had sufficient revenue and was in greater robust. balance? It, truly a robust business that he operates to this day many years later. And uh, I see him occasionally. He's, he's quite happy with what he's doing. Um, so it sounds like your business evolved and there were some pivots mm-hmm. as you were beginning. And based on things that you were experiencing yourself and things that you tried with your clients, you were able to have a major pivot in your business and kind of take your clients and your business to a new level. Mm -hmm. It was a journey to be sure. It didn't happen overnight, but in time I was able to, you know, through fits and starts, get to a place where, where today, you know, I work with 
so single entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and also Fortune 100 companies. And, you know, I, I love the groups of people that I work with. So given the fact that, that your target market has a pretty broad range, what do they have in common? They're driven, you know, they, they know where they want to go, but they also suspect that there are things that they're doing that are holding them back. And oftentimes that's leadership components and individual sabotage, such as I mentioned, and sometimes it's uh, group dynamics. Uh, many organizations will, will embark on a change management process, uh, but not consider that whether or not their workplace culture can sustain that. And so what they have in common is that they're driven and motivated to go to the next level, but they suspect that doing some self-awareness work and looking within and really, really having a, uh, a new perspective on what they're capable of and where they need to do that inner work is what's going to make the difference. And it's what's going to make the change stick. Mm -hmm. And that's the cultural piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do do they recognize that it's really difficult, if not impossible, to manage the cultural transformation that's needed to support a business transition without some external guidance? <laughs> uh, yes. Mo most of my clients had tried it and failed, you know, have tried to implement new strategies or take on new technologies or efficient ways of doing things. And and failed. And, and that can be very expensive for an organization. And so what they recognize then is that with some guidance, then perhaps when they do the specific work on their culture, they can get the change to actually stick. So, so yeah, do they recognize it? Not Often not at first. Usually the clients that I work with have reached a level of frustration because they recognize that, you know, whatever it is that they're doing isn't working and they just need a little extra help, a little extra nudge. So what kinds of descriptions do you hear from candidates that you could help about their pain points that where you hear sort of commonalities among them? Yeah, there are. And and here's where, you know, I just I just have to laugh because it can be somewhat painful. But the commonalities of what I hear are often many of the things that I said when I was in a leadership position with my own team of there's so much drama here. The productivity is low. They're more interested in gossiping and, and telling stories that they're not focused on their work. There's lack of trust and respect in different areas. You know, all of this is messing with the productivity and then, you know, therefore the profitability of my organization. And so they say that this is where this is where it's starting to really hurt. And then, of course, you know, I look at that and think, wow, I, I know how you feel. <laughs> I was there myself. So, so how do they become aware of somebody like you who can help them fix that? Well, are you asking where I where my clients come from then, where they find me? Uh, yeah, I'm actually asking, may, maybe it's a step before that. It's like, if they're not, it takes them a while to be aware of the fact that they have an issue that they can't deal with themselves. So you just described some of the things that they would say where they recognize mm -hmm. that there's a problem. It's like, if my sink doesn't work, 
I know that mm-hmm. I have a plumbing problem and I know I have to call the plumber. <laughs> it's like, right. Right. If you know right. that, that, that there's infighting and lack of trust and people are more interested in gossiping and there are factions are more interested in, in dwelling on, on, um, kind of sabotaging one another and in effect sabotaging the company than they are in being productive. What do you call How that? What, that what, right. What do you call that? And, and who do you know has the right label to come and fix that? Yes. So it, this, is an, this is an interesting pivot between my, or kind of a crossroads between my ideal client and somebody else's, uh, is that one type of leader will look at these problems and say, I have a management issue. I need to focus on my strategy and hone in my strategy so that when I train people, I can train them to the most efficient strategy possible. And that's one type of leader. And they will likely find a consultant that is very strategy focused. Another type of leader will look at this issue and will say, I have a problem because the individuals that make up the groups in my organization aren't responding to the way that I'm communicating and the way that I'm asking them to change. And when I look at change, I don't see it actually happening the way that I'm the way that I'm getting it done. And so really what I'm looking for and how they ultimately find me is uh, I'm looking for a specialist in uh, not just change management, but change management through the lens of somebody who can see the culture for what it is. So it's a a unique leader. It's a leader who uh, has a, a little more awareness on the way people work and the way that humans tick. Yeah. So um, a certain amount of of self-reflection that a lot of leaders are lacking. Mm -hmm. Or even if they don't have, yes, absolutely. Even if they don't have it themselves, they know that that's, they know that they need that and that that's where, that's where the answer lies. Wow. And Janine, now that you've been doing this for a while, where would you like it to to take your business next? What do you see for the future? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I might have answered this question different just a couple of months ago, but here we are in the middle of a, tr- a tremendous amount of change. And I see looking forward in the, in the future of my company to be able to help people navigate the tremendous amount of change that they are going through. You know, I, I have always said I want to start a revolution of, of uh, people who are happy at work again. You know, there are so many people in our country and in, in other cultures who are miserable going to work every day. And and typically my answer to that would be, well, I want to start a revolution so that people are happy at work again. And I want to be part of that. And, and I still want that, but I, today it's refined to a point where I want to help people navigate the tremendous amount of change that they're going through with grace and understanding and some level of positivity so that we can sustain a level of productivity that that ultimately ends up being in our best interest. Yeah, there certainly is. Saying that there's a lot of change going on is, is almost an understatement. It's like it's a massive right. disruption on so many levels. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. So um, people would be foolish not to get in touch with you. <laughs> Thank you. So, so speaking of which... Um, if anybody does want to get in touch with you, they want to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or access any resources you have, where would they go? Uh, they can find me at standinyourstrength.com. 
And uh, I would be happy to have a discussion with any of your clients about navigating the change that's that's coming up for them. And actually, if it's okay with you, David, I'd love to offer your listeners a gift that can kind of get them started on that path of navigating change. Yeah, that would be uh, great. Get them absolutely get them going. So, so if you go to nav, uh, if you go to standinyourstrength.com forward slash going solo, uh, your listeners can download uh, what I call your personal strengths declaration, and this is a training that helps them begin with that level of of self awareness where they'll start to see where they may be self sabotaging, where they, they they'll start to see some of the patterns that may come up. That's preventing them from reaching the next step. And now more than ever, when we need to be nimble in times of change, we need to know uh, exactly where our strengths begin and where they end. You know, not necessarily where our weaknesses are, but where our strengths, what the, where the continuum of our strengths are. And this training will help them do exactly that. Yeah, sounds very helpful for what people are, are dealing with right now. Well, Jeannie and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and sharing um, your experiences and lots of insights. My guest today has been the CEO and founder of Alchemy Academy, Janine Perlstein. Thank you again, Janine, for joining us. Thank you, David. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how Janine maneuvered successfully through turmoil, building her own business, and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.